You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Practicing medicine is both an art and a business. However, the education of physicians has rarely included coursework on the basics of business until now. Will understanding economic principles help tomorrow's physicians lead the way to effective healthcare reform? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Cambridge, Massachusetts, is Regina Herslinger, professor of business administration at the Harvard Business School and author of the new book, Who Killed Healthcare? America's $2 trillion medical problem in the consumer-driven cure. Welcome, Professor Herslinger. Great to be here. Professor Herslinger, it seems that on one hand, the powers that be don't like to see physicians practicing medicine as an art with many choices in treatment and the physician's judgment being paramount. And on the other hand, they don't like the idea of physicians acknowledging that they are in business. For example, there's an objection to doctors owning specialty hospitals, calling this a conflict of interest. It's outrageous. First of all, medicine is much more art than science. Physics, that's a pretty good science. By science, I mean that we understand cause and effect pretty well, and we can replicate experiments or findings because we understand the connection between cause and effect. Medicine, oh, we're in the very early stages of having that kind of scientific understanding of what is causing disease and disability and therefore how we can cure it. The idea that a group of insurers or the government can micromanage the practice of medicine That's like telling an artist to paint by numbers. And the academic physician community, some of it, has widely promulgated the idea that business is evil, that businesses cause doctors to be corrupt, to give patients care that they don't really need. Well, if businesses are so bad, why is the whole U.S. economy dominated by businesses? Why are economies that had no businesses, like those in Russia and in China, why did those collapse? By forcing physicians out of businesses, we're losing an organizational form that provides and motivates and rewards people for being effective and efficient in what they do. So if we as consumers want insurance so that we don't go bankrupt from healthcare expenses, but we'd rather not have insurance company employees calling the shots regarding the care we receive, what are we to do? Well, in a consumer-driven system, if you're standing there and you've got ten to $15,000 to spend, I assure you, a lot of insurance companies are going to give you what you want. And if you say to them, get out of my face, I don't want you to manage my health care. You give me something where I can manage it myself, or you give me an insurance policy where I can go to a diabetic focus factory for my child, they're going to give you what you want. I know for a fact that virtually every big U.S. insurer right now is planning those policies. We don't have these focused factories yet, but we do have walk-in clinics in retail stores. They seem to be finally making a go of it. So that instead of making an appointment and sitting in a waiting room, people are opting to go to drugstores for flu shots, vaccines, and minor injuries. It's a lot less expensive than an office visit and far less expensive than an emergency room visit. And they're usually open seven days a week. What do you think of this option for certain types of health care? It's fantastic as long as it's limited. Clearly, you're not going to do anything very serious in those clinics. But as long as it's a limited scope, 
It's very convenient. You don't have to wait for hours. The price is posted right there so you know whether you can afford it or not. Most of those places have electronic medical records that they can patch into your regular physician's office or wherever it is that you get your care. They're terrific. Why is innovation in healthcare so important economically? The only way we're going to make healthcare better and cheaper is through innovation. If we want to control our healthcare costs, we have two choices. We can ration healthcare, and the only place where rationing will make any difference in our cost is if we ration healthcare to the sick. That's what they do in Canada, and that's what they do in the UK. There's a waiting list to get on a waiting list. I can't imagine, either for patients or for the professionals who treat them, that that's a wonderful alternative. The only other alternative is to encourage innovation. And I'll give you an example of an innovation in congestive heart failure that in one year saved 40% of cost. This was a new paradigm for treating congestive heart failure that was developed at the Duke Medical Center. They actually increased the visits to cardiologists and put in a lot of support. And in one year, the health of the patients increased so dramatically that their hospital stays and admissions plummeted. Overall costs fell by 40%. If we did this nationwide, this is a real innovation. This kind of innovation that makes the U.S. economy so strong, better, cheaper. If we did this nationwide, we would have saved $20 billion. But with the crazy payment system we now have, which is micromanaged by these insurers and governments, the healthier Duke made people, the more money they lost. Is that insane? If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Regina Herslinger, professor of business administration at the Harvard Business School and author of the new book, Who Killed Healthcare? America's $2 trillion medical problem and the consumer driven cure. Professor Herslinger, you teach students from Harvard's medical school in your business classes in a program that offers joint degrees from the business and medical schools. Tell us about this program. It's a great program. It's a joint MD, MBA. And my only concern about the program is pretty soon virtually every student at the Harvard Medical School will also be in our MBA program. In addition to those, we have fully trained doctors who have given up and they've applied and become accepted to our program as MBA students. I've had students who are pediatric oncology anesthesiologists who are as specialized as that who have been my MBA students. So on the one hand, it's so great. It's terrific to have these people as students. They're going to be the ones who are going to reshape this system along with other very brilliant people who already work in the healthcare system. On the other hand, it's so awful that they've been driven out of a profession they love. What have you seen as far as the impact that your former students are having on health policy? They are having enormous impact on the way that health care is delivered. Lots of them, they don't go to Washington, D.C. These people run companies, and they devise new insurance companies. One of them started a company called Intuitive Surgical, which uses robotics for surgery. Many of them are involved in the biotechnology industry. 
Others of them have gone into healthcare information. I have one student who started a company that provides dental services for people in nursing homes. They've done so many wonderful things. And when we get consumer-driven healthcare and we get the kind of payment reforms that make it possible to start focused factories in healthcare delivery, the floodgates will be open. I want to ask you, you believe that the New England Journal of Medicine has portrayed business as evil and that the journal supports a government-run single-payer system. How do you think this will influence physicians politically when they voice their opinions about healthcare reform, probably not your students? Well, my students may believe in single-payer. I I don't teach uh, policy in that class. I teach how to run a good business, good, ethical, profitable business. But the New England Journal has printed overwhelmingly articles that are dismissive of business, demonize business, and many, many articles that laud the wonders of the Canadian or the UK's single-payer healthcare system. I think the influence has not been so much on physicians as on public policy. So it has made it feasible to have a set of laws that prohibit, essentially, physicians from getting involved with many health service businesses. That's kind of like prohibiting Bill Gates from starting Microsoft or Thomas Edison from starting General Electric. It takes out the people who are most competent and most capable of innovating. So I think the influence has been pernicious. I don't think the people involved are evil people or anything of the sort, but the ripple effects from their view of business as being evil in healthcare and government as being a saint in healthcare has certainly shaped healthcare policy and healthcare law in a very destructive way. Yeah, they're a very influential voice, and I have to believe that physicians are considering you know, what they're reading in that journal. Absolutely. I would hope they would take it but take it with a grain of salt. Unfortunately, the other side is very rarely presented. Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been Regina Herzlinger, professor of business administration at the Harvard Business School and author of the new book, Who Killed Healthcare? America's $2 trillion medical problem and the consumer-driven cure. Thank you, Professor Herzlinger. My great pleasure. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.